Hello, I'm glad you've joined us online today. A major question on the mind of most people is, will I have enough? For some, do I have enough money for rent this month? For others, it's, can I move from a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom? Or do I have enough money for a down payment on a house in this area? Or will I ever have enough the way it's going? If you own a business or lead one, uh, your question may be, do I have enough money to hire more people and expand the business? I'm 64, and I don't want to be a burden to my family as I age. And I'm wondering if I'm going to have enough to not be a burden. I don't plan to retire, but I am going to shift gears at some point. Will I have enough for that? In the middle of our worries, God promises his people that he will provide everything we need. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I, I pray this verse often for people. Lord, supply every need of theirs, spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial. God has promised to do that for his people. In the midst of life, we can certainly worry. We really do need money to survive in this life. We do need food, shelter, clothing, and we want to do far more than just survive. We really want to enjoy life, and and God's on board with that. If we're not careful, though, this question of having enough can dominate our life and distract us from the more important questions that we could ask that bring joy in this life and on through eternity. Questions like, am I loving others enough? Am I serving enough? Am I learning about God enough or talking about God to others enough or even Am I getting enough sleep? <laughs> That's important. So do I have enough money is an important question, but it's not the most important question, and I wouldn't even put it in the top ten. For most, though, it is number one. In this four-week series, I want to share with you a very basic plan for answering the enough question about money. I'm using a title and uh, the title and uh, series outline uh, that was created by my friend Bevan Unruh, who's the pastor of Seabreeze Church in uh, Huntington Beach. And he says, if you follow God's plan, it will free you up to focus on the more important, bigger questions of life. Our theme verse for this series is, Ecclesiastes 5.10, which says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. It's not the amount of money you have that answers the do I have enough question. It's our relationship with money that answers that question. If money shifts from something you use to something you love, you have just stepped on a treadmill that never stops and it keeps getting faster and faster 
as you your legs try to keep up. You will not be able to keep up, and you will never have enough. So a better money question that we can ask is not, do I have enough, but do I love money? How can you tell if you love money? There are three indicators, your financial position, priorities, and plan. First indicator is your financial position. When you sit down at first to talk with a financial advisor, they're going to ask you, what are your financial goals? And they're going to try to help you figure out if your money, the amount of money you have, lines up with those goals. Major banks have tools on their website to help you assess where you are now compared to where you want to be compared to your goals. More money stands between you and your financial goals. In this line of thinking, the key question becomes, is your money positioned to accomplish your goals? You want to retire or shift gears someday, but if your money isn't aligned with your goals, it's not going to happen. It just won't. In the Bible, you discover something. God is the number one factor in your financial situation. If you recognize that he is the number one factor in finances, your focus totally changes. The question becomes, how do I align myself with God's goals for my money? If you're not aligned with God and his goals, then it doesn't matter if your finances are aligned with your own goals. Your financial position is off. You won't get the results you want because God is the number one factor in your financial situation. In Scripture, you find that our stuff really isn't ours. It belongs to God. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God is our maker. And as our maker, he has never signed the planet or the people and things in it over to anyone else. He hasn't transferred ownership to anyone else. Everything on earth belongs to God. The prophet Haggai says that all the silver and gold is his. Leviticus says that all the land is his. Psalm 50 says all of the animals belong to him, even the cattle on a thousand hills. All who live in the world, all the people belong to God. Most people don't acknowledge this. They aren't aware of it, really, but it's the truth. And God has given us the financial position of steward. Our stuff really isn't ours. It, it belongs to God. Our name is on our stuff because God gives it to us to manage. He has trusted us with our stuff. 
and he blesses or not based on how we steward it. First Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. There is a tremendous amount of peace in our position as steward. If we take that position, it brings peace. Because we're called only to focus on faithfulness with our stuff, handling our responsibilities, roles, and money. And God is responsible to uh, provide. And he promises to do that. I owned a janitorial service uh, when I was in seminary in the 80s, graduate school. Uh, or maybe a better way to say it is it, it owned me. It was very stressful. And there was an economic downturn. And most people can empty their own trash. And so I, I lost business at times. And this was God's way of teaching me how to walk by faith and to steward what he's given me. Since it was really God's company when I acknowledged that, uh, I could focus on being faithful and trust him with the rest. And when I trusted him with the rest, when I focused on being faithful and just trusted him to provide, that brought a tremendous amount of peace to me. And it, it helps when you cast your worry on him. My part is being faithful. God's part is providing. But if you love money and want more than enough, more than what you need, you're on the treadmill. It's okay to want more, but we must keep our wants in check and be content with our, our needs being met if we're going to honor God. Your financial priorities are the second thing that determines whether you love money. Jesus makes it clear that we must choose what is going to be number one in our life. Matthew six twenty four says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This means that you and I must decide what our relationship is going to be with money. Are we going to use it or are we going to love it? Is loving and serving God going to be your number one priority Is or is money going to take the top spot? Later in the same chapter, Jesus mentions that uh, he talks about our needs and how we tend to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to wear. And we can get invested in these things and spend a lot of time talking about them. I mean, sometimes I'm at one meal thinking about what I'm going to have for the next meal. Um, <clears throat> and Jesus mentions that those who don't know God run around and they chase after these things. They focus on these things. And after talking about food and clothing, Jesus makes a promise to those who put him first. 
Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. A friend of mine says, there's a premise behind this promise. If you put God first and set your heart on his purposes, he will make sure that you have everything you need. If you put God and his kingdom first, you can trust him to meet your needs. There are three things you can do with money. Spend it, save it, or invest it, or give it. My friend Bevan says that spending focuses on the present, saving on the future, and giving on another future. Spending equals lifestyle. We, what we spend determines our lifestyle, and our whole economy is based on spending, so we're constantly encouraged to upgrade our lifestyle. God is the one, though, who controls our budget. In, in reality, he is our chief financial officer and he's, he's watching over our balance sheet and teaching us what he wants us to learn through what we have, whether it's a lot or a little. He's, he's, he's interested in developing our heart and helping us grow in our understanding of him. And boy, does that happen with money. What does the CFO, God himself, say is number one? He says giving. We need to give off the top. It's not the highest percentage of, of our budget, but it's the highest priority, and it should be done before anything else. Why is giving the God's number one financial priority? It has the power to break our love of money. Our theme verse is, whoever loves money never has enough. And giving breaks the continual desire for more because it goes in the opposite direction of more. If you love money, you're always trying to get more, and giving makes little sense. Giving, however, is the one thing that cuts the nerve of our love for money. In terms of generosity, the Bible is clear on what Christ followers should do with their giving. Giving needs to become a lifestyle, just like spending is a lifestyle. The challenge, though, is that we need to spend every month. We need to buy food and clothes and everything else that we need to live. But we don't need to give. But if giving never becomes an ongoing priority, our lifestyle will rule. Lifestyles float. They naturally rise with the tide of our income. If we're in charge, life-altering giving makes no sense. It only makes sense if God is our chief financial officer. 
Now, I'd like to talk about three components of lifestyle giving. First, the first component is thoughtful giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In, in our culture, heart and emotion means the same thing. But in the Bible, it is the heart is the decision-making center of our lives. That's why it says here to decide in your heart what you want to give. You, you should not give only because you feel bad maybe bad enough to give, or you're excited and you want to give in your excitement. When we give out of guilt uh, because our emotions or, or because our emotions are compelling us to give, it only stretches our generosity. And like a rubber band, uh, when the pressure is removed, you'll go back to your natural state. Emotional giving is an exchange, not a gift. In the exchange for the gift, you get to feel better about yourself. So at its core, it's really still about you. Giving that pleases God is not based on what I feel in the moment, but what I've decided in advance to give. The the phrase a cheerful giver means readiness of mind to do good. That's, that's thoughtful giving. Lifestyle giving is also proportional giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. The, churches, uh, the church in Jerusalem was under severe persecution, so the other churches throughout the region decided to help. And Paul didn't want this to be a big emotional deal when he arrived, so he reminded of the giving pattern that's found throughout the Bible. Give in keeping with your income and decide in your heart ahead of time what you're going to give. The focus is on the percentage of the gift in keeping with your income. Not, it's, it's not relative, uh, it's relative to your income, not the amount that you give. So why is that? Our heart is moved by the percentage, not the amount. Which gift is larger? A thousand dollars or two cents? Jesus saw a widow give two pennies and said it was the largest gift he'd ever seen as she gave it. Why? The percentage was a hundred percent. She gave everything she had to the temple. We look at the amount of the gift, but God looks at the heart. And the only way that giving can become 
number one in our list of priorities or financial priorities is if the percentage is high enough to change our lifestyle. For some, that's $1,000, $10,000. For others, it might be $100,000. The next component of lifestyle giving is threshold giving. What percentage should we give? Should we give a, a 100% like uh, Jesus commended the widow as she gave it? Uh, we couldn't survive on that. Should we give 1%? That's a good start, but it probably won't change your lifestyle much. You wouldn't have to change any of your financial goals to give 1%. When it comes to money, especially giving money, we tend to play games in our mind. So God took all the guesswork out of giving and out of the, que- the how much question and established a giving percentage threshold for everyone, no matter the circumstance. It's called a tithe. The word tithe means a tenth. Giving 10% of your income back to God is the giving threshold. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. I call it a giving threshold because thresholds are very clear. When you walked into this room today, you crossed a threshold. You were outside the room, and then you were inside the room. Very, very clear. It's it's the same thing with tithing. If you give 5% or 9%, that's great. But it's not God's will on the matter of giving. The average in America of giving to church and charity is 2%. If you're a Christian, though, your guide is the Bible. Not, not what everybody else in the culture is doing. And tithing is easy to figure out. You know whether or not you're doing it. How much was your income last year? Multiply that by 10% and that's your tithe. Easy to figure out. I can even do that math. If you give more than a tithe, that's, that's an offering. And, and that's, that's good. God encourages us to do that as well. However, a tithe is the threshold for giving. And God graciously shares the purpose of tithing in Deuteronomy 14.3, the last part of that verse. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. The final indicator of whether or not you love money is your financial plan. To keep your priorities in line, you need a plan and intention. If you're not intentional about it, then you're not going to, you, you're not going to be successful in telling your money where to go. Um, so what's your plan? That's for you to decide. You need to 
have a plan, though, before you go shopping. And God has filled the first number in for Christ followers, 10%. You give that off the top. Let me give you a suggestion. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. Give 10%, save 10%, and then spend 80%. Spending is is it will always rise to the top unless you give and save off the top and, and in a way that will challenge your lifestyle. Spending only 80% of your income isn't a magic number that causes contentment. It's the spending limit that does that. What matters is that you have established a plan with a spending limit, because the struggle is never giving too much or saving too much. It's always spending too much. If you don't have a plan, then there is no way to know if you are practicing contentment or not, if you're being content. Spending is the indicator of contentment. If you're spending outside the borders of your budget, You are discontent with the income God has given you. It's okay to to try and raise your income, but that won't solve your spending problem. The two most powerful steps you can take financially is to start tithing and to start living on a budget. Do you love money? If you don't have a plan that contains your spending, you will end up loving money. Without a plan that tells money that God is in charge, money will easily take over. Ecclesiastes 5.10 Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The best money question is not Do I have enough money, but do I love money? The answer to that question is not what you say or what you feel, but it's answered by three, three indicators. What is your financial position? What is your financial priority? And what is your financial plan? So I want to encourage you, to think through some next steps today based on what God has said to you. And here here are my suggestions for next steps. My next step today is to focus on one of the major points of this message, my financial position. Do you need to take your place as steward? My financial priorities. Do, do you need to acknowledge God's ownership of all that you have, and put money in its right priority. My financial plan, should I focus on that? Do you need a plan and a budget to work from that challenges your lifestyle and causes you to wrestle with contentment? Because that's certainly what it will be. It's a wrestling match. Being content is a challenge. And God wants us to be content. 
he he wants us to be content and choose contentment. It's a choice. It's something that we learn, not something we earn. That's for sure. And so think about what God said to you this morning and whether or not you want to focus on financial position, priorities, or plan today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the perspective we gain in the Bible and the practical help we get for living life. And I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd meet all of our deepest needs, spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial, that you'd provide for us. You promised to do that, and we thank you for what you have done. And I pray that you would help us to take next steps all of us, you've spoken to us this morning through your word. And I ask that you'd help us to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take and bring honor and glory to you in the way that we live our lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.